Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4. Good to see you, George. You can hear me a little better tonight, right? <laughs> but uh, Galatians chapter 4, and I'm, we're just going to cover verses 8 through verse 11 tonight. And, uh, but I want to begin reading in verse number one, because really these thoughts are connected to each other. We need to draw those connections in the course of the message. And so once you find your place there, if you'll stand in honor of God's word, we'll read our passage, Galatians chapter four. <clears throat> Galatians chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. But is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. The first principles, the basic principles. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That's the key there. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That it's, it's the spirit that bears witness with our spirit that says we are the children of God. Okay. Verse 7, Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. And so the title of our message that we'll consider tonight is No Turning Back. No Turning Back. So may God bless you in his word. You can be seated. <clears throat> You're probably familiar with the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian very long before you learn that song. I was planning to sing the verses of it for you, but I'm not going to do that because I can already tell I'm straining my voice from the music earlier. And so, but you know how it goes. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. And of course, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. It's a simple but a great song about true discipleship. Discipleship that says, I am committed to follow Christ at all costs. And nothing's going to turn me around in this journey to follow Christ. Well, unfortunately, there are many who claim to be disciples of Christ that do end up turning back. They turn back to their old religious system, their old ways of thinking, their old way of life. And before you know it, they're just no longer following Jesus. They do turn back. Well, Paul has been writing to the Galatians 
about how Jesus paid the price for their sin as he went and he died on the cross. And the reason why he died on the cross, according to what he's been talking about, was to bring them into a new relationship with God. A relationship that is a unique relationship. One that is a father-son relationship. And so he says that he brings them into this new relationship with God that the Apostle Paul refers to here as the adoption of sons. We talked about that last week, how the idea there is that we, we, don't, we don't belong to God. We're Gentiles. We're, we're not of the Jews. We're not of the people of God. And so we're, when we, and the Apostle Paul will even say this in, in Ephesians, that we are aliens, aliens from the covenants of promise, strangers from the commonwealth of Israel. I might have that backwards. But he basically said this, we had no part in the promises and the blessings of Israel, but Jesus Christ died to, uh, he says it this way in Colossians, to make us meet, to qualify us, to make us qualified, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, is how he puts it there. And so that's what Jesus did. This adoption of sons or becoming a child of God or becoming a privileged heir of God did not come through the personal performance of the Galatians, but it came through the performance of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That he did what was necessary to make them and us adopted into God's family. Jesus' death had freed them from slavery and made them sons. That's the picture that's painted from chapter 3 through the end of chapter 4. Is this idea that before Christ you were in bondage. Jesus freed you from the bondage. So why are you now going back to bondage? That's Paul's question here. What had happened is that although Jesus had freed them from slavery and made them sons, these Judaizers have come in and they have led them to believe that they could somehow become more of a son of God. Now, how does that happen? If you're somebody's son, what can I do to become more of my dad's son than I already am? There's not anything I can do to do that. And yet that's what they were being led to believe, that they could be more acceptable. They, they could have even closer relationship to God if they would keep the law. Now Paul is questioning here why it is that seeing where Christ has brought them to, why would they desire to go back to the Mosaic system of religion? That's his question. Why would you leave your sonship and go back into slavery. Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. And he's so concerned about it that he tells them, I'm afraid of you. I'm not that he's scared of them, but he's scared for them. I'm scared where I'm concerned where this is going to lead you to. And I'm scared about the effect that my ministry is going to have if you keep going this way. And so why was Paul so concerned that they were turning back to religion? And I want, to, I want to address that. I mean, let's think specifically of that idea of religion. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm talking about a religious system. Religion, as we view it today, is the idea that I can work myself into God's favor. I can work myself into his blessing. I can work myself into his salvation. I mean, that whole realm is saying you are focused on religion following a religious system rather than following a relational person. That's the difference there. And here's the reason why. Why shouldn't you 
look to religious practices to get closer to God. So that's really what we're talking about here. How can I, how can I be closer to God? And that's the question that they're dealing with because these Judaizers were saying, if you really want to be close to God, if you really want to be acceptable to God, if you really want to be pleasing to God, then you need to keep this religious system. That's what was happening. And so what Paul does here in verse 8 is he reminds the Galatians where they've come from. Look at verse 8. It says, how be it then? And so he's, he's just said, for the sake of context, look at verse 7. He says, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so he's saying, this is who you are. You are a son and you are an heir. You are no more a servant. How be it then, or this is how it was when ye knew not God. Ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. What's he talking about here? Well, the Galatians had come to know God out of a pagan system of religion. If you were to go back to Acts chapter 14, when the Apostle Paul is going through the region of Galatia, he comes to the town of Lystra, and there's this crippled man. And he comes to this crippled man, and he, he heals him. This crippled man, it said that he had never walked before in his life. Well, he, he gets up, and next thing you know, he's walking through the streets, and all the people were beside themselves. And, and what it says is they began to cry out, the gods have come down and are in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and they called Paul Mercurius, which is another name for Zeus. And so you've got these Greek mythological gods here that was a daily part of their religious system and their practice. And they're saying Barnabas and Paul here are, are Jupiter and Mercurius coming down from the heaven and they're among us. And it says that the priest of Jupiter went and got, gathered together animal sacrifices and garlands or these fruit and wheat baskets and and they brought them to the center city and they were going to offer them as a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And it says that Paul gets word of it and they tore their clothes and they run into the city and they tell them, no, don't do this. We are just men as well. We're no different than you. We're here to preach to you the message that you need to turn away from these vanities this empty religious system. And you need to turn to the living God who made heaven and he made earth and he made the sea and everything that's in them. Why are you serving the creator, or the creature when you could be serving the creator? That was basically his message. And then we know he preached the cross of Christ in that city as well. And it said that they scarce restrained the people. Those were the people that he's writing to in Galatians. He was writing to people that spent their entire lives in this pagan Hellenistic Greek, Greek and Roman mythological system of belief, polytheism. And they would come and they would bring their sacrifices and they would bring their, their offerings to these gods. And they would follow these rituals and they would go down to the pool of Jupiter and sprinkle the waters upon their head. And, and so they would go through all these rituals and all of this. I mean, here we go again. Religion. That's what they went through before they came to realize these gods are false, they are vain, they, they are empty, and they came to trust in Jesus Christ and began to worship the true and living God. That was what they experienced. And Paul says in verse 8 that before you knew God, you did service unto them. That word service is the word doulos, which is the word slave. They were slaves to this religious system. 
It was what they had to do. It's what they had to follow. It was part of their everyday life going through all these rituals and traditions. It was the popular thing. They had celebrations and feasts and festivals about it as well. And so they, they went through. He's saying, this is where you came from. You were in this pagan religious system. That's who you were. Then look at verse 9. It says, but now, I love those words. Anytime you see a, this is who you were, and this is who you are, between that is usually a but God or a but now. And that tells you something's about to change, something's different. He says, but now, after that, ye have known God, or rather, are known of God. And so this is still taking us back to his message in Acts chapter 14, when he says, uh, when, he, when he says, why are you serving these vanities? We're trying to turn you to the true and living God. And, and he says, you, you came to know God. And then it's like he stops himself and he says, or rather, God came to know you. This word know, it's not a word that means to, to, to know facts, to know uh, statistics, to know history. It's not that kind of know. This is a particular word that means to know a person, to know someone intimately, to know someone closely. The idea here is really of a personal relationship. You came to know God personally, but the better part is that God came to know you personally. How did he do that? Through Jesus Christ. And so he says, but now you, you know God. See, how did they come to know God? How did God come to know them? Was it through a systematized process of religion? Was it through the keeping of the Old Testament law, through their circumcision, through becoming a Jew, through keeping feasts and holy days? Is that how they came to know God? Is that how God came to know them? No. It was through their faith in the work and performance of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so it was, their, it was their faith. And now because of their faith in Christ, they were in a new personal relationship with God. A father-son relationship. They had been adopted. They were now his sons. They were now grafted in to the Jews. A place where they didn't belong. Heirs of a promise that didn't belong to them. How? Through Jesus Christ. And so now they were no longer under the bondage, the slavery, and the service of those pagan gods. They weren't under that anymore. They didn't have to go down to Jupiter's pool and sprinkle themselves. They didn't have to go and bring their sacrifice to the temple of, uh, of, of Jupiter and Mercurius. They didn't have to do that. They didn't have to bring their grain offering and tithe to Zeus. <laughs> They didn't have to go to those town festivals and celebrations. They didn't have to participate in any of that anymore. Why? Because they were freed from it. They were no longer in bondage under that pagan system of religion. And so Paul reminds them, first of all, where they came from. He reminds them where they are now, but expresses his concern for where they're going. It says in verse, if you continue reading in verse 9, he says, But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Uh, what's going on here? Well, he's telling the Galatians, you're turning back to where you came from. You're going back to weak and beggarly elements, the base principles, where you first came from, 
the religious system that you came from. He's talking about, he's sending them back to their pagan roots. And he's saying, you're following this system of religion again right here. And this idea of weak here, I mean, you can hear it and this is going to sound so simplistic, but what it means is to lack strength, to, to not have the strength. It's too weak. And then he says, beggarly, the idea there is poor. Somebody who's got to beg for a living. And so what, here's the emphasis it's insufficient. It's insufficient. Insufficient for what? Well, what are they looking for? What were they looking for as pagans? They were looking for closeness to God. They were looking for a personal relationship with God. And through all of the vanity of that pagan system, Paul said, these are vanities. We're telling you to turn away from these. These aren't bringing you any closer to God. Here's how you get close to God through Jesus Christ. He'll adopt you as a son. You'll become an heir of all the promises of Israel and you'll have this personal, intimate relationship with God. But it's not through your paganism. Your paganism is insufficient to bring you closer to God. But paganism's not their problem right now. What's their problem? The Judaizers saying, you want to get closer to God? Here's what you need to do. Be circumcised. Keep these celebrations, these festivals. Uh, eat, don't eat pig. Don't eat rabbits and all these different dietary laws. He's saying, he said, you really, they, they were teaching, you really want to get close to God. Then you need to keep this system of religion. And so here's what Paul's doing if you watch this. They came from a religious system that said, follow this religion and it will lead you to God. And now come, they've trusted in Christ. They've been brought into this relationship with God. And yet now they're being led to believe that if you'll follow this religious system, then it will lead you closer to God. Here's what Paul's saying. There are two different religions there are two different systems of belief. There are two different gods, but it's the same result. They are both weak. They are both beggarly. They are both insufficient to get you to the place that you're wanting to go. Because he goes on to say in verse 10, ye observe days and months and times and years. What's that talking about? Sabbaths. It's talking about Pentecost. It's talking about Feast of Tabernacles. It's talking about Purim. It's talking about the weekly Sabbaths. It's talking about the year of Jubilees. And so do you get this? In their paganism, there were times and seasons and celebrations and festivals and holidays and things that they held to. And now over in Judaism, there are Sabbaths and festivals and celebrations and holidays that they hold to. And he's just saying this, listen, this didn't get you there. And this isn't going to get you there either. And so, well, what's the, what's the end goal here then? What's the message? What, what is he trying to communicate to them here? Well, in their attempts to go back to the Mosaic law, they're just observing different religious systems, but they're ultimately seeking the same thing, and that is to get closer to God based on their performance. To have a better place with God, a better position before God, 
a better standing in his kingdom, a better acceptance, a better righteousness. They were going after all of these things. But just because this religion has God's name attached to it doesn't automatically mean that it can bring you any closer to God than your previous religious endeavors, your previous religious practices. Just as Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or any of the Roman and Greek polytheistic religions can't bring you closer to God, neither can Judaism. Neither can being a Baptist. Neither can being a Catholic. Neither can being a Presbyterian. Neither can being an Episcopal. Listen, it's not the religion. It's not a religious system. It's not the traditions of men, regardless of where they come from, that bring you closer to God. Why? Because God didn't design it that way. It's none of us. It's all of him. But Paul was concerned that his strenuous labor, toil, and suffering that he had endured in Galatia in order to give them the gospel would make no difference. If you look at verse 11, he says, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul was driven out of every single one of these towns in persecution. He suffered, endured pain, agony, was stoned outside of Lystra and left for dead. I mean, he endured the most tremendous amounts of suffering all so that these precious souls could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, here's what I'm concerned about is that if you somehow think that your performance can get you to a better place with God than Jesus Christ did, then I'm concerned if you ever got saved in the first place. He's not saying you can lose your salvation. What he's thinking is this, or what he's saying is this, if you're now thinking this way, did you ever believe it in the first place? And now I'm concerned that all that labor, all that suffering was in vain because you didn't get the true gospel. He's concerned about that. And so... Paul was fearful of the Galatians turning to the religious practices of Judaism because religion ultimately would take them back to the same bondage of their past. And that was this, looking to things that are insufficient to bring them closer to God. That's what he was concerned about. Jesus had already liberated them from being slaves to being sons. But now they were in danger of exchanging their sonship for slavery. To go right back where they had come from. And so what this means for us tonight is this. That you should not look to religion to bring you closer to God. Because religion is insufficient to do what only a relationship with Jesus Christ can do. And so that means that you shouldn't be looking to religious systems to bring you closer to God, to get you more acceptance with God. Because if religion could bring you closer to God, there'd be no need for Christ. That's what Paul has taught as we saw it in chapter 3 and as we're going to see it in chapter 5 where, where he says that, for I testify to every man, or verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you whosoever are justified by the law. And so he's saying that if, if justification, if righteousness and acceptance of God could come by the works of the law, then Christ is dead in vain. 
And so if, if you could eventually work your way into God's favor, then there was no reason for him to die. If you could work your way into closeness with God, then there was no reason for Jesus to die. But that wasn't God's plan because you could never be righteous enough. You never could be on your own. And you could never do enough good works to change your position from being a slave to being a son. And so God sent Jesus, made of a woman, made under the law. Why? To redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. He said, my plan was not for you to go through a legal process of getting yourself into my family. My plan was to go after you and to do what was necessary to bring you into my family. See, a kid, when it comes to adoption, a kid does not force his adoption upon a family. A family chooses to adopt a child into their family. And that's what God has done for us. It's not us bringing ourselves to him. It's him bringing us to him. And so now that you are a son, now that you know God and are known of God, is it necessary for you to keep a systematized form of religious practices to further appease God's wrath? I mean, let's think about that. You go back to their pagan days. The whole purpose for offering the sacrifices and keeping these festivals was to appease the wrath of the deities and to secure their blessings. And Paul is saying, that's how you used to be. And if you go back to Judaism, all you're doing is that again. You're following a religious system so that you can appease God's wrath and so you can subside his wrath and you can appeal to him so you can be more of a child of his and be better accepted and have a better place in his kingdom. But he's saying they're both the same thing. And so I have to ask you, you today the same question that the apostle Paul asked them now that you know God now that you and there's that same word now that you ha know him personally now that you have the adoption of sons is it necessary for you to depend on a religious system and when I talk about religious system I'm talking about a list of rules and regulations that are developed by man I'm talking about the Old Testament law, even something that God has clearly decreed in his word has brought us to Christ and served its purpose and faded off the scene. And so do you need to depend on that to get you closer to a God of whom you are already a son? Well, the answer is obviously no there. Do you need to keep religious practices to appease God's wrath further or to further your redemption or further your position as a son or to perfect your righteous standing before God? Is that on you? No. And that's something we ought to be thankful for because if it was on us, it would never happen. What Jesus accomplished at the cross was this, sufficient it was sufficient to bring you and to keep you in a father-son relationship with God. See, being adopted into God's family, being his child, being his heir, being a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and, and, and having all the inheritance of heaven and all the promises to Israel belonging to us now as his people, having that is something that philosophy can't do for you. It's something that that's a circumcision and keeping dietary laws can't do for you. That's something that keeping feasts and festivals can't do. <coughs> it's also something wearing a suit and a tie can't do. 
It can't make me closer to God than somebody else. That's something that, that sitting in a church pew can't do. Getting baptized can't do. None of these things can make you more of a son of God than anybody else. It doesn't make you any closer to God. Not Listen, no religious practice can do anything to make you closer to God than Jesus already did through his death, burial, and resurrection. It was sufficient. All the other things are weak. They're beggarly. They fall short. They leave you lacking. Impossible of being a child of God. But because of what Jesus did for you, it's possible through him. You might say this, well, then why sing? Why come to church? Why read your Bible? Why pray? Why worship? Why join a local church and serve in a local church? If, if it's not religion that's going to bring me closer to God, then why do those things in the first place? Well, let me illustrate it this way. When I was a child in my father's home, I did not come and sit at the dinner table so I could be more of his child. Why did I sit there? Because I was his child. Because I, you know, I still went there on Sunday afternoon for Easter because I am his child. Yeah. And, and you know why? I, 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 I didn't sleep in my father's home as a child so that it would somehow make me more of his son. I, I slept there because I already was his son. And I would sit down on the, on the couch and, and talk with my dad. And there's pictures of me passing out on my dad's lap as a kid. You know, did I do those things just so that I could earn favor and acceptance of my father? No, it's because he already, already was his child. And so what I'm trying to get at here is that religious practices can't do anything to alter, to diminish, or to improve your position with God. To improve your relationship to God as his son. But I will say this, God doesn't disown his children. And his true children do not disown their father either. They won't. And so Paul is not suggesting that you can lose your salvation here if you go back to religious practices, but he is questioning this. Do you really know that you're a child of God if you're trying to be more of a child of God through religious practices? But what we're talking about is this. If I spend all my time away from home as a kid, away from my father at my friend's house or on the sports field or wherever else it might be, I would not be able to truly enjoy the father-son relationship that I had with him. And so what this means in the same way, if you don't come to God's house to worship him, if you don't spend time in prayer, if you never take the time to read your Bible at home and to spend time in fellowship and communion with God, you won't be able to enjoy the relationship that Christ has given you with him. Why? Because enjoying a relationship comes with time. You talk about a marriage relationship. God often in the scriptures refers to his relationship between him and his blood-bought church as a marriage. You think of my, my wife, if we didn't spend any time together, if, if I never came home for dinner at night, if I, if I had just spent all my time at, at work and no time with her, or even if I spent all my time with my kids and no time with her, and if I never talked to her, if I never spoke to her, if I never hugged on her and loved on her, if I never did any of those things, then would that relationship be enjoyable? No. But you know what? I do all those things because I do enjoy my relationship with my wife. Well, listen, worship, prayer, Bible reading, 
serving the Lord, those are not religious practices. Those are evidences of a relationship. Where things get messed up in your Christian life is when you begin thinking, I come to church, I read my Bible, I pray every day, I serve in ministry, I wear a suit, I wear a tie so that I can have a better place in God's kingdom, so I can be more acceptable to Him, so I can be more pleasing to Him than what you're doing is you're turning your service to Christ from sonship to slavery. And that's what Paul is telling the Galatians that these Judaizers are doing to them. See, because the law is really Paul's application here. He's saying, he's saying, if you go back to the law, then you find yourself serving the Lord out of selfish reasons. You know, if I, if I do something nice for my wife just so she'll do not, something nice for me, How's that going to affect that relationship? That's how our relationship is based. That's not going to be good, is it? You, you like it when people do things for you expecting nothing back. But when they expect something back from you, how do you feel about that person? Well, they're just using me to get what they want. They don't really care about me. They don't really love me. They just gave me that. Uh, just so, I mean, you know, how, how would it be like, Tim, if you came in and you gave, you gave us those ding-dongs expecting us to give you an Easter chocolate bunny. <laughs> I mean, it would just feel disingenuous. Well, listen, why would God, I mean, he created us in his image. Why would he think any differently? That if you come to him by law, thinking I can be closer to God this way, I can get a, a better seat at the marriage supper of the lamb. I can have a greater place in his kingdom. I can have a more prominent position in his church. When you come to God, even with your offering, with your service, with your singing, when you come to him with that perspective, does that show evidence of a relationship with God? Or does that show evidence of selfishness, of thinking that you can do it on your own? Well, it doesn't show evidence of a relationship, but I will tell you this, that when you do those things, Simply because you're a son, simply because he brought you to his table, that's evidence of a relationship. <clears throat> but when you, and so religion, let me just say it clearly here because I have it written down clearer than I'm explaining it now. But religion is doing things to be closer, more accepted, and more beloved by God. But what does the gospel tell us? It tells us that in Christ, we could never be closer to God than we already are. It tells us that we could never be more accepted with God than we already are. It tells us that we could never be more beloved of God than we already are. And that's not because of our performance. It's not because of our religious uh, practices, but it's because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, God came to you just because he loves you. Not because of what he could get out of you. Not because he could get your offering. Not because he could get your time. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your time. What he wants is you. Because he loves you. But when you turn back to religion and you end up doing things that make Christian, your Christian life feel more like slavery than when it should be like sonship. 
I fumbled over that a little bit, but but when you come to God and your service becomes religion and it becomes religious practice rather than relationally motivated service and love, then you turn your Christian life back into slavery when God intended it to be sonship. And that's what Paul is concerned about in their lives. But this passage also speaks to us from this standpoint. Now that you have Christ, why would you turn to something that takes you back to your past. Now that you have Christ, why would you turn to something today that will take you back to who you were before you knew God? For you, it may not be religion. It could be irreligion. It could be atheism. It could be philosophy. Well, let me ask you this question. Now that you know God, why spend all your time in the pits of philosophers who are trying to take your mind away from God and explain away God and to get you back onto your philosophical thinking instead of your biblical thinking? Why would you do that if it's going to take you back to your past? It may be alcohol. It may be God saved you out of a, a state of drunkenness. And now that you know God, why would you go back to the bar and hang out with your old drinking buddies and go out on the town? Why would you do that when it's just going to tempt you to take, take you right back to who you were before you knew God? It could be lust that you've been struggling with, but by God's grace, he's giving you the victory through Christ. So now would you go, why would you go and watch a TV show or watch a movie that's laced with lewdness and vulgarity and innuendo? Or why would you, uh, why would you be on a website that's going to take you right back into your past addiction again? Now that you know God, now that you're forgiven, why let something into your life today that's going to influence you and take you back to where you were before God? It could be gambling. Now, maybe you were trapped in a world of addiction to gambling. Uh, I was, uh, whenever we passed the... Uh, the sports betting and gambling thing a couple years ago. I had some coworkers that I was talking about and they were like, well, don't you believe in freedom that we should be able to do whatever we want and, and spend our money on whatever we want? And I just said this, well, I know too many people who get addicted to it and it destroys their life and it destroys their marriage and it destroys their family. And God, by God's grace, he can reach down to the pit of that addiction and he can pull somebody up and out of it and he can clean them up and clean up their financial statements and restore their family. God can do that work. Well, if God's done that work in your life, then why would you dare step foot into a casino? <laughs> Why would you take a weekend trip to Vegas and you're just going to put things in front of you that give the temptation to take you right back where you were before God pulled you out of that mess? Somebody might say, well, this sounds like rules. <laughs> don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't run with people who do. That sounds like rules. That sounds like man's tradition. What you no, what this sounds like is discipleship. It sounds like Jesus Christ has led you out of a mess and he's saying, follow me. And I'll tell you, if you keep following Jesus, if you decide right now, the world behind me, the cross before me, I'm just going to keep following Jesus, then those things will not tempt you to go right back into the place Jesus led you out of if you'll just keep following him. Jesus died to deliver you to set you free, to give you a whole new life.
Not go back to the things he freed you from, whether that's religion or if it's vice or whatever it might be. He already has given you what you really need. And that is unconditional acceptance and closeness with God, your father. And so don't turn to anything today that would take you away from a position of sonship and put you back in a position of slavery. Jesus has not called you to follow the law. He's not called you to follow the law. He's called you to follow him. And if you're so busy, focused on following the law, how can you follow Christ? Because Christ sometimes did things that were against the law. He kind of healed some people on Sabbath days. He kind of let his, let his disciples pluck the ears of corn on the Sabbath day. Uh, he, he kind of turned things on its head. In fact, he claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. And he says, follow me. Follow me. If you're focused on following vice, you won't follow Jesus. If you're focused on following some person, some friendship, some relationship, some preacher, some public figure, some politician, you won't follow Jesus. But if you'll simply follow Jesus, you know what you'll be able to do? Enjoy the blessings of the relationship with God that he died to give you. If you'll follow him. If you're trying to get to God through religious performance, you'll never make it to him. But there is one who can get you to him. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll trust in him, believe the gospel, and call upon his name, he will save you. He'll pull you out of that, that pitiful mess that you're in. And he'll make you a child of God. He'll adopt you into God's family. Religion is insufficient to do what only a relationship with Jesus can do. So decide tonight. Decide tonight, I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. Father, we come to you tonight and we're grateful for the adoption that's been provided for us by our Savior. I'm thankful that we don't have to appease your wrath. I'm thankful that it's not up to us to earn our sonship with you. That it's not based upon my performance and whether or not I'm close to you. But Jesus has already done everything it takes to get me there. And now all you ask is that I simply follow you. I pray if there are those that have heard this message that have been depending on their religious performance, I pray they'd stop and that they would start depending on Christ's performance. I pray if there are those right now who are putting things in front of them that have the potential to take them back to who they were before they knew God. I pray you would help them to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made them free and be not entangled again in that yoke of bondage, but that they would follow Jesus. And so I trust that you've spoken. And I pray that we would be humble enough to respond. In Jesus' name I pray.